Welcome to today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app for both iOS and Android devices by searching for The Church at Bushland. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know by emailing us at media at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses uh, 6 uh, through 16 together today. The text, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. Um, <clears throat> pastor asked me to uh, fill in. He's on a little uh, get to the mountains, a little mountaintop experience, a little uh, fi- final, sort of a final study break on a, a series and a season he's going to lead us into in the fall, which we'll have more to say about that uh, in the coming weeks as we prepare as a church and with our small group ministry and really just sort of step out and launch together in the direction the Lord's laid on his heart by, uh, through his teaching ministry. Uh, uh, on this text, and you'll see in a minute uh, the tie in here. And then a couple of weeks ago, I'm in a, co- I'm in a coaching group. Uh, I'm the vice president of sales and marketing at a trucking company. And that and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee at Waffle House. I don't know why I said that, but I'm in this, um, I'm in this coaching group. And every, every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. for an hour and a half, uh, it's the Sandler group. And on every Tuesday morning, there are men and women from a variety of, or, uh, of products and services that are in sales, and we meet together for a conference call. It's a video conference call, and it's usually really, really good. Um, and, uh, and then once a month, just our salesmen and women at the Keenan Advantage Group, there are about 30 of us. Um, I just do the sales and marketing on the food-grade trucks, and we have fuel and merchant gas and, and uh, uh, chemicals as well. And we're the small division, the food division, about 450 trucks. And so anyway, all of us get together once a month with our main coach, um, Ken Guest at the Sandler Group in Akron, Ohio. But one of the guys that's on in his, one of his partners a couple of weeks ago after Pastor Jeff had asked me to preach and the Lord laid this text on my heart, uh, they recommended a book by Dr. Stan Beach. But if you have your phone or your smart device uh, and you like to be developed professionally, I would invite you to go ahead and open it up and just look it up and bookmark it. It's Dr. Stan Beach. I'm in the book. Uh, he's a sports psychologist and a Fortune 50 business coach, really a Fortune 10 the 10, the 10 largest by valuation and influence in the world companies, but certainly the Fortune 50 companies. He's a business coach uh, there and a sports psychologist. By the way, he, he's not the sports psychologist for my Tuesday night 50 and up men's softball team. Uh, he's like gold medal people and, and, and the fastest cross-country runners, men and women in, in, on the planet, and the world's fastest sprinters. And I mean, this guy is elite, and he did his dissertation on something. And if you, if you read the book, you'll notice something. I'll give you a couple of highlights in a minute. You'll notice he, he's basically uh, figured out a really good way to repackage some biblical truth and, and put it out there in the sports world and in the business world. But the book is Elite Minds, Elite Minds, subtitled How Winners Think Differently to Create a Competitive Edge and Maximize Success. I, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, it, will, it will make a, if you're a coach or a teacher, you lead people uh, you're a businessman or woman, you're in sales, whatever it is, if you want to develop uh, an edge competitively uh, and just get better as a man or a woman, as a husband or wife, as a parent, I highly recommend it. Um, 
And it reminded me, of course, how the Lord kind of put this together in my own heart and mind. Here's, a, here's four keys that Dr. Beecham mentions. See if these sound familiar to you. He, he's going he's to help you, among other things. He'll explain that what you believe is the most important thing in the world to you. It's the most important thing in your life. He's going to help you understand and show you how fear is keeping you from reaching your goals. He's going to teach you that there's no such thing as an individual performance. And he's going to demonstrate how successful people value their waking hours and even their rest, their world-class rest, they're, they, how they value their time more, making them uh, more efficient. Well, we're going to see in here the, the most elite of all minds and that he's given us some blessings thereof uh, in this text today. And I'm feeling a little nostalgic today. So let's go old school and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word if we could. Stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. Praise the Lord, my, my arm is long enough again in this service. <laughs> I wasn't sure in the last service. <laughs> the Apostle Paul writes, he says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, but God has revealed it to us by a spirit. He's revealed those deep things, those mysteries. He's revealed his actual wisdom. Second part of verse 10, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they, the things of God... The things only understood spiritually, they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Here it is, but we have the mind of Christ. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. So uh, 2 Corinthians, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's actually mislabeled to a certain extent, and I'm setting you up a little bit. This is the second letter to the Corinthians from the Apostle, from the Apostle Paul. He wrote it during his three-year stay in Ephesus, so around 55 or 56 A.D. That's basically 25 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, after he was resurrected from the grave at the conclusion of of his redemptive ministry on earth. He wrote it to the church in Corinth in southern Greece, which, is, which, is, which was and is actually west of Athens. And he planted this church in Corinth on his second missionary journey. And if you remember the book of Acts, Priscilla and Aquila were two of the Jews that were in his core group as Jesus instructed him. And as he did, he would go to the Jews first in a community. And if they rejected him or those who got saved got saved, then they would reach out there to the Gentiles. And with Priscilla and Aquila and a few others in the core group, they, 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 they developed a pretty significant uh, church in, in the city of Corinth when they evangelized specifically the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians 5, 9, that's where you read that it's actually the second letter he wrote to them. 
Now, we don't have the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It's not in Scripture. And I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question, but here it is. Why, why is it not in Scripture? And the answer is very simple, because it's not God-breathed. It was penned by the Apostle Paul, but not everything he penned and everything he said was inspired of the Holy Spirit and therefore Holy Scripture. So it's a very simple answer. He alludes to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, and, and it's, it's not in the Word of God because it's not inspired Scripture. Paul's very clear in his teaching to young Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 where he says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable or useful, some translations um, say. All Scripture is God-breathed, but not everything that the men and women of God in the, in the biblical era wrote was inspired Scripture. So you can have confidence in that. But I just wondered, thought it would be a good little uh, side note for you. Now, there's a phrase in the book of Corinthians that's not really here that's the most dominant phrase besides the work of the Spirit, and that is the phrase, now concerning, now concerning. It's a key phrase in 1 Corinthians. And, and Paul, through, through saying, now concerning this and that and the other thing, he lets us know that there's, a, there's an extremely dysfunctional church in Corinth. And their, their dysfunction is, is, uh, is wrapped up in all kinds of crazy issues. There's hero worship of leaders going on. There's a guy sleeping with one of his dad's wives, and no one in the church seems to have a problem with it. There are marital problems among the leadership of the church. There are doubtful practices. There's the misuse of spiritual gifts. And there are legal battles between brothers and sisters that worship together on the day of the Lord in that community every, every week. They've got some serious issues. But in the midst of correcting and teaching the crazy charismatic, charismatic church at Corinth, their softball shirt would be cool, CCCC, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in correcting and teaching that church, Paul delivers some of the deepest theology of his, new, his 13 New Testament writings. He serves up, by the way, when we get to chapter 13, the most incredible thesis on love in Scripture outside of the ministry of Jesus in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. So in the midst of that, that book and that, and that church, in that environment that the Apostle Paul ministered to, in writing to it out of his three years in Ephesus, this 2 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians 2, we, we've, obviously looked at, we've obviously looked at verses 6 through 16. Now, I, I read all of these again and worked through them in the last service, and I went too long. So jump into verse 6. Jump into verse 6. Now, if you're taking notes, there's going to be just a lot of just conversation here, and then we're going to bring it home together at the end. So what Paul says in verse 6 is the attributes of God, the mind of God, the heart of God, they were revealed to the apostles in the New Testament and to the other writers of New Testament Scripture through the Holy, through the Holy Spirit. They, they did not observe with their human senses. They did not observe with human observation their intellect or their reasoning. The Holy Spirit, watch this, gave them the Word of God, I missed this in the early service. They didn't get this. This is really good. <laughs> Kinsley's taking notes on the podcast in a couple days because she's out of town. Write this down, baby, okay? <laughs> they were given through the Holy Spirit the Word of God and the words of God. Now, some people want to talk about the original transcripts, the Hebrew and the Greek, and those are very powerful. We have none of them, by the way. There are no original transcripts. And the reason I think God didn't let us have those in some biblical museum somewhere is because some of us who are in love with the Word of God would worship the, 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 the transcripts as opposed to the, to the 
person of Jesus behind the transcripts. Does that make sense? I almost blasphemed in the National Archives and almost worshipped the Declaration of Independence, the original, and the Constitution. I stood in line and was in awe standing in line and talking to the Lord and reading some of MLK's letters that were out in the standing room line. And I got up there, and I didn't realize they were going to give me three and a half seconds. And I almost got arrested because I wouldn't move. I'm like, I'm going to read what Thomas Jefferson penned right here. And uh, they were very stern, and I moved on. But the point is... If I almost worshipped the Declaration of Independence and the, the original copy of the Constitution, think about if we had written down from men and women of God what God delivered to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, some of you have been to the Holy Lands and you acted like a fool and got rebaptized in the Jordan. You're like, this is the same water Jesus was baptized in. His water moved away about 2,000 years ago. <laughs> downstream, downstream, okay? So if you go there, it's okay to have a symbolic rebaptism. But it's not the actual water that Jesus was, uh, was baptized in. It was the dirt he walked on. The dirt he walked on blew away a long time ago as well. Okay? Here, here's the point. The mysteries of the Old Testament, the hidden things of God, were only prophesied about and foreshadowed to the men and women of God in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit didn't indwell men and women of God in the Old Testament and stay there from start to finish. The Holy Spirit would come upon them. You speak of him coming upon them. The Bible speaks of him indwelling them. The Bible speaks of him anointing them. And then oftentimes after that ministry event, the Holy Spirit would leave back to the throne of heaven in the Godhead. But once Pentecost comes in Acts chapter 2, every believer since then gets indwelled with the fullness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit when they turn from their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And Paul is saying... Human minds and human brains and human philosophy and reasoning can never even get a glimpse of the truth and power of the mysteries and the deep things of God delivered to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Never. Verse 8, the greatest philosophical minds in the world of unbelievers cannot even start to understand or comprehend the, will, the, the wisdom of God. Listen to this. Without a relationship to Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it is absolutely impossible for unsaved people to understand the things of God. Right. Now listen, when I was 18 years old, I knew everything there was to know about the Bible. I, I knew all of it. And if you had asked me then, if you could have known 18-year-old Michael Carter, I could have solved every biblical dilemma that you ever had had. And if you would have come to me as a young men, youth minister with parental problems with your teenagers, before I had kids, I was the smartest parent-teacher guy on the face of the earth. But as I got educated formally and in the school of hard knocks, as we had kids of our own, I realized I'm pretty stupid, you know. But you know what? When I was 18, I used to think that I needed to defend God. Boy, I was an apologist in my high school. I wanted every person at River Road High School that was, was, was under me, I was a senior in 85, I wanted everybody to hear the gospel. And man, I stood up for God in the hallways. I lived for Jesus. I wore t-shirts that said, heaven or hell, turn or burn, and that kind of cool stuff. <laughs> Christian rock and roll blaring from my speakers. My, my sound system in my 1980 Mustang, it was a four-cylinder, was more powerful than the engine. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> I learned very quickly after the, the pinnacle of my, my intellectual ignorance, as it turns out, when I used to defend God and take up for God, I learned pretty quick that he can take care of himself. Does anybody know that? Amen. He can take care of himself. 
He doesn't need me to defend him and be an apologist for him. When people get hurt and upset and unload, cast all their cares on him in prayer, and they say some ugly, godless, blasphemous things, God can pretty much take care of that. He's actually told them to do that. You said, I get ugly and use ugly words with God in prayer. He's commanded you to unload on him because he cares for you, and he wants to exchange your angry, hurt burden for his light and restful load. Sorry, that wasn't in the notes, but let's keep moving on here in the text. Their attempt to understand from a human perspective only led them to crucify the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 13. This is what we speak, the Apostle Paul says. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Here's the good news. For believers... We have been fully enlightened, past tense, and keep, can, can keep continuing to be enlightened by the Word of God delivered by the Spirit of God through the Bible and illuminated in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he, he needed to go to heaven so he could send the Holy Spirit to us, and the Holy Spirit would remind us of everything that he said and basically give us the words to say when we need the words to deliver to people. Listen, some of the most godly men that I've ever known in my life, their writing was illegible. I couldn't, that means I could not read their writing. They had no formal education, but they knew the deep things of God delivered from the God of the universe through the ministry of his son and his apostles, inspired God-breathed word of God, and they knew the deep things of God, and they lived the deep things of God. And regardless of how, if they got through junior high or high school or anything beyond that, the word of God and the spirit of God educated them in the things that matter most. And I've got to tell you something. Some of you may, may be, think that you can, you can defend God. You want to be an apologist. And I love apologetics. It doesn't mean I'm apologizing for God. It means I, I'm taking the truths of Scripture and standing up to the religions of the world or the, 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 the enlightened thinkers of the world. I'm standing up with the things of God. But guess what? They're never going to understand. These are foolishness to them. The lost people that you love that are your neighbors and your coworkers and maybe in your family, they, you're never going to win the argument because they can't understand it, watch this, until they put their faith and trust in Jesus and surrender to him as Lord, and then all of the deep things of God come alive for them as well. Are you with me? So the, the point is, the key for us is today that we can relax and trust the fact that these are, words are not taught to us by human wisdom. And yet, that does not mean that we don't have to study theology. A few weeks ago, a couple months ago probably, I said something about studying theology. And Kinsley said, sometimes we don't talk much for a while. She's very quiet. And sometimes we don't talk for a while. And then all of a sudden, if I'm on the road or just we're at the golf course, we'll talk for an hour or two or three hours straight. And she said something in the conversation. She said, Dad, I don't really care much about theology. And I said, baby, you don't know what you just said. Theology is simply the study of the person of God, the study of the heart of God, the study of the attributes of God, the study of the power of God. That's all theology is. And watch this. If you grew up in a situation where theology was a bad word, that's, that's not God's fault. So you can sit around and say, I just want to worship. Listen, if you don't get into the deep things of God as delivered in the Word of God, your worship is just going to be a frame with no picture in it. 
the, the, the word of God says it will be a form of godliness, but eventually you're going to run out of gas. There's going to be no power, in other words, it says. The pastor points this to John chapter 4 a lot where it says God is seeking worshipers, but watch this, worshipers that will worship him in spirit. Woo-hoo! The Maranatha stomp and all that, right? And in truth, the word of God. It's both and. It's not either or. So, what does this mean for us today? What does it have to do with theology? By the way, I wanted to say this. How do I know that I have to use my mind? Some of you have heard Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hebrews call it the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But Jesus... In Mark chapter 12, quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, adds a phrase. You say, wait a second. You can't add or take anything away from the Bible. Well, you can if you were the author of Deuteronomy 6 and if you're the author of Mark chapter 12. There's, there are multiple biblical writers, but there's only one biblical author, and his name is Jesus. You say, well, how do you know that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, words, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. There was not anything made that wasn't made without him. That's creation. That's creation and scripture. And Jesus said, said it this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Don't tell me you don't like to read and you don't like to, to ingest the word of God. It's not a good excuse. You and I have to get this into our head and into our heart and into our body and into the hands of the Holy Spirit. Huge chunks of scripture now some of you have done the atkins diet or the keto diet right how many of you've done the atkins or the keto diet and how many of you discovered in that process that you're a carbohydrate addict like i am yeah yeah isn't that crazy you start leaving some things out and your body can get used to it after a little while but it's kind of freaked out sometimes right and you can sit around, you know, you could, you could actually be reading your Bible and thinking of some pretzels or, an, you know, jug of ice cream or something. You need all of the Word of God, the fullness of the Word of God. We, we must engage Him intimately with our soul, our body, our minds, our strength. Here's why. Here's why. Because these word, the Word of God and the words of God, by the way, He didn't just give us the good stuff, the perfect stuff, the, the inerrant stuff in the Hebrew and Greek text. He controlled the men and women of God who've, who've translated from that. And we even have in English what will bring perfection in the perfecting, sanctifying work of Jesus in our lives. You don't have to worry about whether there are errors in the English versus errors in the Greek and Hebrew text. Because these words and this word will change your life. And here's why you've got to get huge chunks of it in, in here and in here and in the fullness of here and in everything that you are. Because this is the toolbox of the Holy Spirit. It's the toolbox of the Holy Spirit. You can talk about walking in, living in, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, but if his toolbox is like mine, you're in trouble. I got a toolbox that's about this big. It encompasses the fullness of my tools that I own. The men at Trinity Baptist Church gave it to me 29 years ago. We had like 500 people at our wedding at Trinity Baptist Church. Remember the old days when people got married in churches? Anybody remember that? And you invited your family and friends, but you invited your church family. Remember, like, the whole church family was invited to your wedding. Remember that? We're not going to do that because it's going to get way too expensive if we do. We're not spending $100 a head on all of you guys. I just 
want, want you to know for food afterwards, you know. We're going to have some Vienna sausages and some cut-up watermelons with toothpicks in it, all right? So, sorry, baby. She already wants to know what her budget is. She's not even dating anybody. It's low. It's very low. <laughs> but the men at Trinity Baptist Church, I was on staff there. They gave me, they gave me a, you know, a, a groom's shower, and I got some tools. And I don't know how to use half of them, right? I just don't have very many skills. If I couldn't use my voice and my passion to make a living, my, I, you know, I'd star, I, my, I would starve. My kids would starve. I don't have any, I don't have any useful skill set. But how many of you have ever seen a Snap-on Tools van? Anybody? I love that thing, and I don't even know how to use anything in there. Uh, in, our tr- in our trucking terminals, I'm on site sometimes, and the Snap-on Tools guy pulls up, and he opens the doors, and it's like, ah. <laughs> and th- the guys that are working on trucks or trailers or whatever, they just hear the sound or see the light or something, and they all come out, and they all buy stuff they can't afford, right? It, 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 you, the Snap-on Tools truck is amazing. It's amazing what's in there. I'm like, show me stuff that nobody knows about. And the guy's this, I'm like, I got to have it. And I'm like, Danette, I need $7,412 for the Snap-on Tools guy. (laughs) Not going to happen. Here's the point. Based on your study of the Word of God, do you have a little Michael Carter toolbox or do you have the Snap-on Tools van in the hands of the Holy Spirit in your life? You see, he's not going to, he's not just going to do something in your life just because you want him to. If you've been blood-bought and called and responded to saving faith, you have to follow Jesus. Take up your cross and follow him. The Lord Jesus, when he confronted the devil, and the devil confronted him after he was tempted for 40 days, he said, Jesus, I know you're starving. If you're supposedly the Son of God, command these stones to turn into bread. You know what Jesus said to him? He quoted the Old Testament. He said, man must not live on bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If the perfect sacrifice of God. The second person of the Trinity said he had to live on and stand on and put in his spirit toolbox in his earthly ministry the words of God. You think you and I are going to get away without it? You think this can can develop a layer of dust in our bedroom or, or wrinkle up in the heat in our car floorboard with just french fry crumbs and stains on, you know, coke stains on it? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We have to realize what God has given us. Look back and look back. Let's jump to the end. Look, uh, jump to the end. Verse 14. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. By the way, some of you folks under about 30 years of age don't like that. The big thing now is don't judge me, right? Used to, everybody in America, whether they went to church or not, knew John 3.16. You know what this youngest generation knows now? Judge not lest you be judged. They don't even know. The Word of God just said, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. Now, he's not talking about heaven or hell and the soul of somebody, but he's talking about life. You better be making judgments for yourself and your family. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord, and there are some implications and, and, and consequences of that fact. Verse 15, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind, we have the mind of Christ. Here's the good news. I recommend Elite Minds by Dr. Stan Beecham. Great read. Just, just great read. I have like 150 highlights 
to use in my life and with guys on our team and in, in, in my company. I mean, it's good stuff. I mean, some real practical stuff. Have you ever, how many of you had to take math growing up? Did you ever have a coach say, I want you to give 110%? And you're like, what? 110%? This guy says if most people just gave 70%, their sports, their sports victories, their business victories, their relationship victories, if most people just gave 70%, it would blow their mind how good it would be. That's how little we engage with, notice what we have at our disposal as Christians, that last part of verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. You ever read that before? Some of you have never noticed that before. You know what? I'm glad that I have the mind of Christ because with my mind, that's about what comes out. I know that's deep. We've been given the mind of Christ. Listen, listen, not a piece of, when you got saved, Jesus didn't give you 5% of his mind. When he went to the cross of Calvary, did he give 5% of himself? No, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form went to the cross of Calvary. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says that he literally became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. And when he said, my God, my God, on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the first and only time in infinity past and the first and last time in infinity future when the perfect unity and love and fellowship of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that was the only time that the perfect relationship that is God was ever broken. It was because of your sin and your sin and because of my sin. And he didn't hold anything back on the cross of Calvary. And when you put your faith and trust in him, he doesn't hold back any of his Holy Spirit. And when he put his heart and his mind in you, he gave you the fullness. And watch this. The Bible talks about continually putting yourself in a position to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5. But listen to this. You don't need more of the Holy Spirit. He just needs more of you. You don't need more of the mind of Christ. He's given it all. You and I just have to begin to walk in and understand the deep things of God that have been revealed and live what is already our reality. But unfortunately, you remember when a Christian perspective and a Christian worldview was the same thing as a biblical perspective and a biblical worldview? It's not true anymore. How many of you watched The Bachelorette this summer? Come on, Amber, raise your hand. Anybody else? I'm not going to dog you, but Alabama Hannah is supposed to be a Christian, right? And her Christian principles were all good, and she can tout those and go to some dude's Sunday school class, but then she ends up behind closed doors in a windmill and sleeps with a man who's not her husband. Just acts like it's no big deal. Is that biblical? Maybe uncomfortable right now for some of us in the room. It's not biblical. I have a friend of my work. We were talking about life and the sanctity of life. And I brought up Jeremiah 1.5. Listen to this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I said that pertains to every baby that's been conceived in every womb in the history of the earth. She said, no, it wasn't. It's just for Jeremiah. What? You tell me God knew and remembered and thought about Jeremiah when he was conceived, but the other 10 million babies are worthless? 10 billion babies? Not true. The biblical mindset and the Christian mindset aren't necessarily the same. And you know where we've gone astray? We started making up our mind and going trying to find a verse to support what we already concluded. And we need to go to the Word of God and say, what does the Word of God say? And i got to tell you something. I didn't make this up. God told me is no substitute for the Bible says. 
You can sit around with your legs crossed and beg for God to come and speak a word into your heart and mind, but you better get into the Word of God and get the snap-on tool truck pulling up in your quiet time instead of my little mealy mouse workbench. Are you with me? Yes. So how do we apply this? How do we, how do we apply this to our lives? You guys know who Todd Hill is. I'm going to end with this instead of what I had by way of illustration. You guys know Todd Hill? Hill's Hallmark? In Silverland, you know, on holidays. <laughs> Todd Hill, Silverland. Know him? He was one of my youth workers at Trinity Baptist Church. And one day we were sitting in my office. I was, I was 23 years old. I don't know how Todd was at the time, Todd and Carrie Hill. And he, he was mentoring a, a, a young black man who uh, got saved in our ministry from Paladero High School and, and uh, just ended up developing a phenomenal life-changing relationship with the young man after he was saved. And, and we're praying in my office. And man, Todd, was, he's, he is a passionate dude, and he was just, he was just praying. He's like, God, if I'm wrong and I don't have the Word of God right, I pray that you just give me a spiritual enema. And I was like, <laughs> I have my lightning rod up because I'm like, I'm not sure if you can say that word in prayer to the God of the universe. But here's the point he was making. Is, Here's the point he was making, and I had to repent because I wasn't sure at that point you could laugh during prayer, you know. <laughs> In my family, if you laugh during prayer, you got a smack upside the head, right? Uh, there was no timeouts or a spanking. There was a smack to the side of the head. But here's, here's the point. I illustrate it this way to close. His, his heart was saying, God, empty me of everything that I think is right and what I think are the conclusions of a man of God, and fill me up with the man of God, the Lord Jesus, as revealed in the Scriptures in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God, God's not holding anything back from you. He's not piecemealing himself out to you. The fullness of God dwells in you right now, and he wants to come alive with his Holy Spirit toolbox called the Word of God in your heart and your mind. So spend time in the Word. You guys know Brad Emmel. He's not in this service. He was in the first one. Brad was my intern at Trinity Baptist Church when I talked about that toolbox. And he had a quiet time one time every day for seven years straight. He'd be embarrassed probably if he knew I was talking about him in the service. Seven years straight, he had a quiet time in the Word of God every day for seven years straight. That blew my mind. I've never come close to that. And I'm like, was it incredible or what? He goes, some days I just did it so I could say I did it. And so I counseled him, you know what? That's okay. Sometimes I go to the gym when I don't feel like it, but I leave knowing that my body got something out of it. Sometimes you go to the Word of God. You may be, not be fired up to spend time with Jesus, but the Word of God is going to accomplish its purpose in your life. Get into the Word of God in the days ahead. Whether you need what Todd Hill prayed for, I'm not going to say it again in the house of the Lord. Or you just needed to be reminded of day what's at your fingertips as a spiritual man or woman. Let's pray. God, we pray that these men and women of God, that, would, that we would be salt and light in a fallen world. God, we know we will never be the majority in this life. You said, Lord Jesus, that the gate is small and the path is narrow that leads to life and just a few go down it. But we call ourselves a part of the chosen few today, Lord. And we know that you want us to be salty and bright in a world that needs to be seasoned and needs to know the way to you. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your word is revealed and delivered 
through the men and women of God in the Old and New Testaments, that your word that has been delivered by your Holy Spirit in us, that it would come alive in us. Yes, that we would be passionate worshipers, Lord, but that passionate worship would be filled with the substance of the word and the very words of God in our hearts and our minds and our homes, our relationships. God, come alive in us. You've given us You've taken up residence in us with the most elite mind that ever existed in this life, the mind of Christ. And I pray that he would come alive in us, Father, today in ways that maybe we haven't experienced lately. God, through the power of your word, I pray, Lord God, that during this time of altar ministry, as these these men and women are here to pray over folks. God, if this has something to do with the conviction of your word today or there's a relationship that needs to be prayed over, a body that needs to be prayed over, or, or Father, if somebody here just says, no wonder the things of God have been foolishness. I've never turned from my sin and put my faith and trust in him and surrendered to him as Savior and Lord. God, I pray that that person, that man, that woman might step out today as well. So God, as we move into this time of commitment, this time of invitation, I pray, God, that you would move and would we, say, we would say yes, Lord, to whatever you're leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Church at Bushland. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on Facebook and Instagram, by using the Church at Bushland, and on Twitter by using at TCA Bushland. 